Alice Pomponio. I lead innovation and impact investing at the country's largest cancer um, charity, the American Cancer Society. Um, and so these days, after a first career in biopharma, I identify as a patient advocate because of ACS, um, a social entrepreneur because of what we're doing with Bright Edge, and an impact investor. Hey, it's Zach from Boston Speaks Up. That is the voice of Alice Pomponio. She is the managing director at Bright Edge, which is the venture capital and impact investment arm of the American Cancer Society. Her work is making waves in the fight against cancer, and I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Cheers. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up, and I'm here with Alice Pomponio from Bright Edge. Hi, Alice. How are you? Hey, Zach. Good to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, and for listeners, could you sort of just give an overview of your current role or really roles uh, in the world today? Sure. Yeah. So um, Alice Pomponio, I lead innovation and impact investing at the country's largest cancer um, charity, the American Cancer Society. Um, and so these days, after a first career in biopharma, I identify as a patient advocate because of ACS, um, a social entrepreneur because of what we're doing with Bright Edge, and an impact investor. Amazing. And in how would you describe what an impact investor is? Yeah, so, you know, it's the two compound word here. Um, <laughs> clearly invest. Uh, in our case, we invest, um, we equity invest. So we take equity in private early stage biotech companies, med tech, tech companies that are focused in cancer. And the impact is really where um, I think we're pretty ruthless because we're working with donor dollars. Um, so we use the ACS Impact Venture Fund, which is the venture capital allocation of the American Cancer Society's uh, portfolio. And what we're trying to do is actually deliver impact through our investments. So that's pretty shocking, right? So we're trying to both um, generate financial returns, and we're also aiming to deliver the American Cancer Society's mission of ending cancer for all, which has a huge health equity component through the companies that we select, and then how we engage as investors in driving their performance, because it's just as important that they meet the mission targets as it is that they meet the financial targets. Yeah, I think that's one thing big that I sort of took away from kind of our pre-podcast Q&A is sort of impact investing doesn't come with any, doesn't have to come with like financial or, or concessions in terms of like the ultimate kind of financial returns that these companies can can deliver. So I think that that's really interesting. Also, I'm I'm curious, I, I could hypothesize myself, why, why the importance in investing in early stage like really early stage and you know a lot of um investors including impact investors but you know investors in general like especially in this sort of market we're in right now are investing a bit later stage and like later stage can just it can be at series a right we don't need to get in what, what's later early stage but i mean like you're, you're investing pre-series a at an at a earlier kind of seed stage and why is that so important? And and talk a bit about the challenge and sort of like identifying what are the what do you identify to 
have the right kind of bets where you you tend to be betting on some great winners and we'll get into some of them later um but it's even more challenging to have um success with early stage investing i'd argue it's more important um especially in areas such as you know, uh, you know, can, you know, cancer research and and sort of, you know, um, you know, remedies to sort of like counteract sort of like you know the the rampant sort of um, effects of, of of cancer across our populace. W- what is it that um, what is it that's so important in how in, in approaching early stage for you and and I guess more broadly, um, you know, for your organization? Yeah, yeah, no, that there's. There's a lot there, okay, and I'll try and do my best. I mean, I, I think for for from our perspective, and definitely for someone who's walked this line of private sector, public policy, and now you know being an, an impact investor, I think at the end of the day, it's it's about sustainability and it's about scale, right? So when you look at um, a major nonprofit like American Cancer Society, you've got basic research, you've got uh, 5,000 communities where we're providing free lodging and rides and um, community level cancer education. Uh, and then on the policy side, we're advocating in 50 state capitals, Washington, DC. And that is currently you know, through grant funding. Uh, and actually that's kind of a, a key tool for how we deliver mission. We actually receive grants or donations and then we grant back out. Um, and and so when you think of being able to sustain that, you know, the pandemic taught us a pretty hard lesson, which is when you rely on in-person fundraising events like walks and galas, um, and you can't do those, you know, you're really at risk at being able to continue to provide all of the things that society basically counts on. Um, and thankfully, um, we were able to bounce back from that. But when you really look at your ability to scale impact, there's so many other players and resources out there that are not being put to work through, you know, vehicles that allow them to do more of the right thing. Everybody, you know, hopefully wants to do more of the right thing. It's just that um, we don't yet have products or platforms or programs for people to engage. And so impact investing, as you just said, you know, there's a whole range um, based on are you uh, receiving different types of impact capital, and we can talk more about what that impact marketplace or the impact economy looks like. Um, but how those monies come in, and then what we select, because ultimately, what you want is every one of those dollars to work as purposefully and in the most optimal way. And so, philanthropic dollars are very well placed to do the high risk work that a lot of investors shy away from. Um, I think they're really great for catalytic investing, meaning in our space cancer, there's been a ton of investment, you know, there's been great breakthrough innovations, except what we see is that the disparities continue to rise. That's absolutely unacceptable, right? So there's certain types of cancers like brain, esophageal, pancreatic, where that's a death sentence. There's not only not much out there, but there's also not much being developed because the investors are not favorable towards very high risk approaches. So, um, so what we did at Bright Edge was we essentially said, let's not reinvent the wheel. The promise that we want to deliver upon is really helping drive more capital and more in innovation and invention to the areas of greatest need. So let's use the consensus frameworks that American Cancer Society already knows how to do very well because we issue things like public health guidelines. So we took the cancer control, the cancer research, and the social determinants of health blueprints, 
and essentially identified 11 thematic areas that we know are evidence-based, expert-vetted. These are going to deliver impact. And then we're going to go shop for the types of companies that deliver performance in those areas. And if they don't exist, then we're going to ask ourselves, well, why don't they exist? And could American Cancer Society or Bright Edge actually help shape the environment, the market, so that there is more Hmm. great stuff happening in those areas? I love that. When it's you sound like an incubator mm-hmm. and i say that because like you look at um you know link ventures in boston david blunden's vc and they have kogo labs kogo labs is is a it's a venture studio right so link can invest in other companies but but link ventures is putting a lot of money sort of like into ip that kogo labs is developing or or sort of just you know sort of early stage companies that maybe need some you know more more support, like for for example, Kogo Labs acquired SmarterTravel.com from TripAdvisor and really catalyzed that. Um, and so, I, I guess I'm I'm curious, like in my first look at Bright Edge and and its role within, you know, American um, Cancer uh, Society. I, I guess I, I I viewed it maybe more like not like more lightly or, or more appropriately as like fastball down the middle, like you know, venture group doing impact investing through American Cancer Society. What I'm hearing is um, a really prudent model that like is barred, is as advanced as, 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 as an incubator sort of model. You know, you talk a tech star as a Y Combinator. And so comment on that. But then also I'm curious, like, do you ever like identify things or areas and 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 no serial entrepreneurs or 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 subject matter experts and help you know do the thing like create the thing from like the ideation phase because it seems like if if that isn't already that's sort of like an interesting arena you can step into which is like just creating net new ip based on your prudent process based on your network and based on sort of like the the, the kind of collective um ecosystem that you have yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've, um, you've, you've really hit the nail on the head, which is this convergence, this perfect storm, right? So we need to get in early. And, and this is me drawing from um, my first, you know, sort of profession, which is in biopharma, medicines development, market access. Um, by the time, um, you know, drugs, therapeutics, even diagnostics make it to commercialization, a lot of key assumptions and decisions around product design have already been made. And it's really hard to undo those, you know, and the the challenge is, is I think like 70% of drugs launched by big pharma are actually developed by these small biotech companies that are founded by scientific founders. And they're surrounded by financially motivated VCs. And so a lot of these downstream um, risks and issues, one, either people haven't touched them directly because they've been more in that discovery phase, or two, quite honestly, they think someone else is going to go fix it. And so there's no motivation for them to really embed what I would call more ethical, rational product design mm-hmm. at the front end, which is really cost effective to do so. You know, we at American Cancer Society, our sister um, organization, the Cancer Action Network, where I had served on the board before coming into this role, we're just now um, advocating for multi-cancer early detection tests, that those should be covered. Those products have been in development for decades. You know, that's the craziness about the current model. So absolutely early is important. And then the convergence is, well, wait a minute, we're in 
early because we're the largest non-governmental funder of cancer research. So we have 5 billion granted um, in cancer research to date, 50 Nobel laureates, 25,000 researchers. We're essentially term sheet zero. And so, you know, what we mm. need to do is stop the madness. We were, you know, granting early, but then investing late, meaning because we were being more conservative in our investments, we were actually missing a lot of value that was being created. And that value was both financial, but also just think about those company um, founders and leaders who want to do the right thing. They want to have more diversity in their clinical trials. They want to go after an indication that's a bit tougher. And their board is saying, no, that's too risky. Don't do that. So really being able to not only tap into the deal flow that's coming out and all the great discovery that's coming out of the American Cancer Society, um, and we'll be launching our accelerator programs next year, three accelerator programs. That's great. That's phenomenal. And it's yeah. surrounding them with a community that actually encourages them to do more impactful work. That makes so much sense. Makes yeah. a lot of sense, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, cool. All right, nice. Sometimes I can go off on a tangent and I don't hit the nail on the head, but I think that, one, <laughs> that I think we're aligned here. <laughs> okay, um, pre- appreci- appreciate that. Um, well, I, I kind of want to take a little bit of journey back in time because I want to because I want to graduate in and through like some of your experience, your experience, experience in sort of DC through the White House and sort of like things you were things you've experienced in your life, but things you've seen like that you were just alluding to, like that were sort of like and and really get into like the inequities that exist. Um, and how, and how you're sort of at the, what seems like sort of your, your kind of dream and ideal job to make the biggest impact you want to make. Um, so where'd you, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up a little bit all over. Um, (laughs) so I'm first generation. My parents are immigrants from Taiwan right after the quotas were lifted. Uh, they came in the late sixties and, um, yep. You know, I was born in the Midwest. I, was here in Boston when my dad did a postdoc. Then we were in Toronto, spent most of my childhood in Texas and then California, and then came back here about 32 years ago to go to college, MIT, and then stayed on for grad school um, at Harvard and, and settled in the area. Okay, cool. And so you, both of your parents were born in Taiwan mm-hmm. and and they moved here. So you're first generation. And Taiwanese was their first language and and you were the oldest sibling, right? And and so yeah. how, how is it so growing up, were you sort of like a bit of a sort of translator for your parents and like sort of like, I mean, what what was what was that like sort of and, and also moving to different places each each time? Yeah, no, it's it's hard. It was really, really hard. <laughs> Let's not um kid oneself and some of my uh best friends were from my Goonie years because that was the only school that I started and finished, you know, the same school. Um, but I think when you move around a lot, it does teach you how to make new friends, keep the friends that you had before, maintain communication. Um, but also, you know, it probably was a good fit for me because I'm very curious. So I was constantly yeah. being exposed to new things um, and had the opportunity to reinvent myself a lot. A lot of people don't get that, op- you know, that chance because they may be branded a certain way or they're stuck mm-hmm. in an environment and they just um, can't create that dynamism. Um, but what you described is absolutely hmm. true, uh, which is, you know, when you are the child, um, the oldest child in an immigrant family, you know, there's also a lot of responsibility because you're kind of the one who is um, translating all the time. Yeah. And I remember in second grade, I actually would take my mother's. Um, uh, so what would happen is she would have to write me a note for for a doctor's appointment or whatever. I would write the note in English 
and then she yeah. would copy it in her handwriting and sign it. Uh, um, wow. So, you know, it just teaches you that it's not all about you. You know, you got to sort of lean in. And even if you don't have, um, even if you're not the adult in the situation, but you have the language abilities, you help out where you can. Yeah. And so, yeah. And also that not everybody has a voice, right? Like, um, there are brilliant people out there who just cannot convey um, their brilliance because they don't have representation or they don't have um, the language or, or a seat at the table. That the words uh, empathy and humility come to mind that you're sort of like mother was just naturally like you were being taught just in that exchange. Uh, could speak a bit to her, 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 and maybe her, her brilliance. Like, yeah, like it must have been. I can't imagine. Like, I can't. Um, I can try to, you know, put myself in a place of empathy to to not be able to speak a language, but have like. I'm a creative, like I'd be, it'd, it'd be a bit of a prison I'd be in, in my own mind. Cause I'd have all these thought, like creative ideas to share with people and, and not be able to communicate it. Um, so like, how, like how challenging was that? Was, was that for your mom? I know some people take to art or they take the things. Um, I don't know what, you know, some of the things she did over the course of her, her life, but I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. Yeah, for, for sure. You know, my, um, my mother was one of eight uh, kids um, in her family, six uh, daughters, which for that generation meant that they were a feminist family, whether they liked it or, or not. <laughs> um, she was very gifted through the, um, kind of the, the, through, what's the right word? Um, not necessarily academically, although she was wonderful with math, but she was very gifted with, um, with her hands and mm. with textiles. She was a fashion designer. Uh, my father was a, a PhD in analytical chemistry. Um, and so it was really, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a wonderful home to grow up in because I had very different role models. I had a father who was um, technical, um, academically oriented, and, and my mother who was really just so gifted at um, all things home and art and um, family. Um, mm. But going back to what we talked about before, you know, being in the United States in the 70s where we were not in strong Asian communities, it was very isolating. Um, and honestly, um, sadly, my mother's no longer with us. She had passed um, very young at the age of 62 from undiagnosed colon cancer. Um, and part of the reason why is because she, one, was worried about what it would cost to go get care. And two, mm -hmm. she was probably very intimidated by the healthcare system and her ability to communicate mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. with, with clinicians and providers. And so it does break my heart that, um, yeah, we, we don't make it easy for people who need our help the most. Yeah. You were starting your career at that point. Like, were you early in your biotech career, and and so and your mom hadn't had like a colonoscopy, and like and was maybe a bit more reluctant than the average to 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 sort of seek out sort of like your typical sort of like health checkups and 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 things like a like a colonoscopy exam. Is that is that is that the timeline? Where you're at like are you when you're like early twenties at that point? Yeah, yeah. No, I was probably in my. I just started a family. I was in my thirties. Um, okay. But you, you've, you know, you've 
you've read this story before with with other um, you know other uh, families. My, my father was a small business owner. This is pre Obamacare. He retired at sixty five. Um, they grew up in a country where insurance and all of the complexity that just wasn't familiar to them. Cash pay, right. you know, and um, and so the idea of having preventative screenings and then utilize your your benefits when you had insurance was still very foreign. Um, but secondly, I think just the way that we um, charge and transact healthcare, you know, the fear of surprise bills because you didn't know what you were going to be, you know, required to pay, what was covered, what wasn't. I mean, they had already experienced that um, in, in other settings. But really, um, what was sad about her passing was that she she had symptoms. Um, they were in a place where she did not have um, solid insurance coverage, and she mm -hmm. was waiting for Medicare. So she was waiting for three years. We're not a gambling family, um, but she she took yeah. a gamble and it failed. Um, so, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and I'm really sorry that that's. That, that that that's how things played out um and i think what we'll be soon getting into is sort of like this is sort of what i, I am drawn to people like you alice who are doing the thing and the things because like it's personal <laughs> um this is very personal i guess in in sort of amid uh, amidst sort of is happening um to your mother at 62 it sounds so your 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 family faced you know 14 bouts of cancer within a 12 year span. So seven different types of cancer, 14 total across uh, over 12 years, like just cancer just decided to like mess with your family for a little while, like, which is wild. Um, and was that like through your thirties, like in your forties and speak to that a, 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 as much as you want to, but I'm sort of curious how that in, introduced you to American Cancer Society, American Cancer Society, Canada, and sort of how you started to like what you, how you coped because it's coping and how you sort of like, you know, you're, you're a mother, you're like, well, you know, not, and I'm, a, you know, things happen in life and we, we get punched, you know, sometimes we get jabbed, sometimes we get hit with a haymaker. I mean, you got hit with a haymaker when your mom left way too early. And so then you have to decide like, what am I going to do for myself? But what am I going to do to set an example for my kids? And I think what's really cool um, to honor the legacy of your mom is what you've done since then and continue to do. And I just love to kind of hear that journey that that's, you started to take at that point. So look, you know, uh, biotech was really just starting to, to take off. I, my career was starting to take off. It was a total shock uh, because not only uh, do I work in healthcare, but my sister's also a physician. Um, and you've got the tragedy of it all. But then the irony of it is that, you know, we're touching parts of healthcare and we're starting to reflect on, well, are we doing everything that we can, you know, to help others? And sadly, in our situation, we couldn't help my mom. But then, as you mentioned, we started to have more cancer battles within our own family. And every one of those experiences was really quite different. In some cases, they turned out positive. You know, we have survivors and we celebrate them and it was caught early. In other cases, um, the cancer was caught too late or they were in a part of the country where they didn't have good access to um, excellent care. Um, but I think for me, it was really just 
the sharp focus on mortality and cancer's mm. a genetic disease. So what happens if I only had 15 years left on this yeah. planet? And what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Um, so it really uh, made me be more um, open to alternative career paths and be more purposeful. Um, and honestly, I started volunteering with American Cancer Society because we had um, colon cancer, blood cancer, brain cancer, you know, bladder cancer. We had so many different types of cancers. There was no other cancer charity where I felt like I could show up and support everybody that I cared about, you know, without leaving someone behind. And then as we got to know American Cancer Society, the mission is, you know, the burden of cancer is unacceptably high. And I was like, yeah, we have a really big burden of cancer in our family. But as I yeah. got to know more of the data and I started serving in these other roles, um, it really pissed me off that the distribution of the burden was really mm. unfair, whether mm -hmm. it was um, where you lived, um, the type of cancer you had, uh, your social economic status, the color of your skin. And that got me really motivated to essentially take all of what I had learned on the business side and put it to use um, with this focus, which is delivering ACS's mission. That's great. So it started with did with ACI's ACS's mission. Did you first get involved, like in what capacity? Like, were you still working, you know, in the private sector, and you were sort of like getting involved and you were participating in events? Like, what was sort of how did you how did you first get involved and like how did you sort of get into the role that you're in now? Yeah. And have you helped shape it? I mean, because I, I want to kind of graduate back to the, I want to hear a little bit more about those accelerators and the things. It sounds like I'm sure you're, you know, you're, you're sitting at that table, looking at the data and coming up with sort of like, what's the next thing and the next things we're doing. We're going to launch three accelerators next year. I'm sort of curious, like how, you know, how long did it take for you to sort of like, and and then how long did it take for sort of like, you know, Bright Edge only started in 2019, um, but you were working with American Cancer Society before that. So sort of like, you know, it's, and, and is there a bit of like in an open source mindset, is there a bit of a like playbook and are there lessons from this for like others um, to sort of um, who are trying to make similar impact, whether it's in healthcare or in climate tech, um, because it's, it, you're making a lot of impact now. And so I'm, I'm the, the, the student in me is like, what lessons are here to like share with the world so that others can like make more impact on, you know, health outcomes and climate outcomes, which are probably the two most important topics that, for me, and I think any parent, those should be the topics we care most about. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I, I came to ACS as a volunteer, mostly for personal reasons and got involved okay. at the community level. Um, I will say that during my career, because I had worked in biopharma, I'd worked in US government, UK government, um, small and large companies, rare disease and cancer. I had come across American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network um, as part of, you know, industry relations and thinking of different federal um, and state policies that would stimulate and, and help encourage more innovation um, and improve patient access to care. Uh, but, you know, it really was when I came in as a volunteer and was asked to take on more volunteer leadership roles. I chaired the area board here in New England and then served on the national board at um, American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, the advocacy affiliate, uh, that I probably, you know, 
really started connecting the dots. Um, I don't think you can come to this type of work being a single story person. You can't just have developed drugs and launched them over and over again, you know, uh, and even if you're on the market access side, you can't have just priced products, gotten them coded and gotten them reimbursed. I think you, in order to really um, realize the potential of what American Cancer Society is and can be in the private sector and in the marketplace, I think you have to see the problem from all different angles and then essentially overlay that with what American Cancer Society is trying to do to deliver its mission through the nonprofit sector. And that's where you can really spark these completely novel business models. You know, we, I tell my team a lot, um, look, you know, we, we can play at a level because we're pan cancer, because we're US wide, you know, we can diagnose the problem at a population level, at a health system level, at a market level. And the solutions that we can come up with can also be right, transcending any one institution. Hmm. On top of that, we can shape the environment. So let's really go back to what's the problem we're trying to solve? Do we really understand that problem? Have we come across it in different settings? Have we attacked it at the most specific way possible? And then how does American Cancer Society really show up? And so, you know, where do we lead? Where do we collaborate? And where do we follow? Let's not reinvent mm. the wheel. These dollars are really precious. We have a unique platform. So that's why, you know, us getting involved at the earlier stage makes sense because we're mm. an early stage grantor of research. It's why us um, helping to inform what non-financial impact performance should look like through our cancer impact investment framework makes sense because we're a trusted, you know, known evidence generator and expert consensus builder. Um, but yeah, I think that had I not gone through all of the different touch points along the product value chain life cycle and then watched our ecosystem and sector grow, there's a lot we could learn from climate, mm -hmm. to be honest, in terms of sustainability. I mean, yeah, disparities yeah. in my mind yeah. is like the global climate change of healthcare. Right, right. That's interesting. So I want to ask a couple follow-ups like, and talk a bit more about some of the policies that or inequities that were identified in policies that were sort of at least proposed and perhaps put into action, whether it was in the UK or US. I want to also acknowledge that all, all caps can is the Cancer Action Network and not Canada, which I probably misspoke twice at this point. So that's, that's, that's good to know. So just calling myself out there in front of listeners too. Um, but I just thought American Cancer Society was just going cross border to Canada when I saw that when I saw that written. Um, and and anyways, but speaking about different different borders, different countries. So United States um, and UK, you've spent time in both places. Like in both places, were you like helping develop policies to 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 sort of um, help have a positive impact on inequities? And 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 if so, like what what were those more specifically? Are we have we started to experience them like in America and, and how, how, how well is that going? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so at the very early stages with um, biotech, it was all about just funding research, right? Like we needed to understand the human genome. We needed to understand some of the mechanism of disease and helping, you know, really cross that valley of death in terms of discovery to something that might be, commercialized. Um, 
when I was at Genzyme, um, we were very focused on rare diseases and rare disease, okay. orphan diseases are ones that, again, you know, at that time compared to large blockbuster products being developed by pharma were seen as high risk. They were very 80% of genetic diseases, rare diseases are genetic in nature. And so there was a heavy reliance on having great science to draw from, but also clear regulatory frameworks, right, to be able yeah. to review the efficacy and the safety of these products. And then, you know, the policy arena shifted to really what, um, um, you know, what the health systems needed to do to better okay. ensure patients could access and covered these products at the level that they needed to be covered. Um, and now I think, you know, the policy conversations are all of those things, plus really what is the accountability and the responsibility of our industry, right, to, to mm -hmm. serve um, broader public health goals. And that's kind of how my career also tracked yeah. a little bit. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting because when you look at this field of sustainability and responsibility, and I've only learned this as I've reached my mid-career is, you know, policy plays a really important role because the first chapter of doing um, what is outside of a pure profit kind of mindset or, or corporate strategy is compliance. So if there's mm. a law that says you have to do this, then you will do it, right? You know, and then you're right. in this like sort of next phase of legitimacy. Mm -hmm. Well, how can I grow my business if I do, you know, this corporate social responsibility campaign? Or how can I, you know, um, essentially justify something that doesn't necessarily have a clear ROI? I'll make the ROI elsewhere. And then the third phase, which is, I think, where we have to get to from a sustainability standpoint is, how is this absolutely core to what we're trying to do? You know, how are mm -hmm. our incentives and the problem we're trying to solve 100% aligned so that we can freely be, you know, a competitive, um, an excellent operationally excellent corporation delivering, yeah. you know, on mission. Interesting. Cause that kind of speaks to a bit of the pre podcast Q and a we did where you talked about, you need to pull before you push. Yeah. Can you speak, yeah. To, speak, speak to that a bit more, like how important it is to sort of like, you know, sort of, all right, check boxes, compliance and, and sort of like, but, but also like, Talk about what things you need to research and pull and sort of like the, the sort of like overwhelming, uh, you know, body of evidence and, and the foundation that you have to build before you go and then start pushing to the world like, hey, I'm doing the thing. Yeah. Um, but talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And this again, I, I was learning um, in my sort of adulthood and, and during my career because we had such a vibrant funnel flow of discovery, scientific discovery coming from the human genome program, molecular biology, you know, healthcare was all discovery led. And um, as you think of, well, why did these disparities continue to grow? You know, in my mother's case, she could have benefited from standard of care. She didn't need a clinical trial. She just needed access to care. And so the concept of really flipping it around and saying, well, what, where is there more opportunity for demand-led, right, or needs-based design. It's mm. a very different strategy because on the discovery-led mm. side, it's about discover, you know, mm. patent, get in there early, develop, and push. Mm. In the more needs-based design, it's really understanding what the problem is and then being very selective about what you will address through your solution, doing a lot more customer, you know, inquiry and, and really trying to understand patient journey. So I, 
um, initially wanted to learn for myself and then ended up getting pulled in to be faculty at uh, the Harvard-MIT Health Science Technology Program for Healthcare Ventures. And student teams come together. I also uh, did a bit of time with um, Martha Gray at Catalyst. And, and it's all about really understanding nice. the problem that you're trying to solve. And I think in the Bright Edge American Cancer Society model, that is how we show up as a differentiated investor, is we know a lot about the problem. We know so mm -hmm. much about the problem that we've spent billions researching the problem. Mm -hmm. We publish on the problem. But on top of that, we've actually operationalized some solutions. Again, they're maybe not in a, in a commercial way, but we have operational knowledge because we run the 24-hour, 365 days a year call center for the country. So we know what patients are calling about when they get diagnosed with cancers. We um, run free ride programs, our Hope Lodges mm. for, trans for lodging. Um, guidelines are meant to try and drive you know, better quality of care. So you want to know whether or not a product is solving a problem that matters. We can, we can validate that for sure. So moving forward, talk about like, uh, let's talk about these three accelerator programs um, and sort of like how they're going to be kind of focused. If, if there's three, then, then sort of what's the differences between the three? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so this has been a big year for, for Bright Edge because we um, have proven now that we can invest with purpose and for both financial and impact. And then we made the strategic case of our differentiated ability to go earlier, um, not only because of our networks, but also our ability to deliver impact, right? So the earlier that we get involved, um, the more hands-on we can be and, and to shape. Um, but the three accelerator programs uh, really try and help cover a lot of the ground um, that we talked about. So one is entrepreneurs. Those will be um, scientists that are publishing um, in high-impact publications. We know that these are companies ready to form, and we will be working with them at the earliest stages, helping them to form the companies, being the first money in, and then surrounding them with um, content, curriculum, and mentorship. The second cool. is um, our health equity accelerator, and that's doing what we just talked about, bringing the kind of the, the, the thematic challenge up front. So there are lots of public health call to actions. Screening, cancer screening has not returned to what it was before COVID, for example. What are technologies and companies that can get us there? Um, those different types of cancers brain, esophageal, pancreatic, you know, what are uh, novel approaches to be able to help them catch up, if not leapfrog, you know, what's happened in the blood, lung, breast cancer space. So the Health Equity Accelerator is taking a topic and bringing it forward and then sourcing great ideas. And then the third accelerator is um, the first of what will be our national network of innovation accelerator hubs. And there we know because we are granting across 1100 institutions that we have brilliant grantees who are not able to form companies and really um, rise to their potential because they're not in geographic hubs like Boston and San Francisco. Hmm. And so we'll be um, announcing our uh, first regional hub where we'll be supporting grantees as well as um, company founders in those thematic areas that we talked about um, and helping really um, improve their chances for success. 
Awesome. Thank you. Nice tight overview of those three. Uh, the, one of the other things I want to talk about in, in going in the future, you mentioned this is something you're sort of like looking forward to is sort of the continued development of your founder circle. And and I think it's, I think it's interesting and appropriate. Like you call your, your donors, um, your founders, right. And, and can you speak to, to who some of those may, may be, and then speak a little bit more to just how, the role um, and sort of the maybe the purpose, you know, behind those donors who they're still looking to like get a return on their their investment. It, that's absolutely important. We've talked about this isn't, you know, there's there's no no concessions here. Um, but what 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 is the founder circle like? What does that mean? Like, are you are you sort of being calculated and sort of like in taking a qualitative approach to like who your donors are and like how they fit into the room and like how how is that collective group like another interesting support because a lot of times you hear like um you know contributors to funds sort of like don't necessarily have like as active an impact um on a, a sort of venture fund but it sounds like things things might be a bit different at bright edge yeah so our founder circle who are amazing every day they just remind me of um not only they give me so much hope that there's 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 a community of philanthropists and investors who cannot wait for Bright Edge at scale. Um, today we are fully donor funded, so our founder circle members are philanthropists who want their dollars to work through the Bright Edge model, whether it's venture capital um, or early stage investing and innovation enablement. Um, these are uh, known. Entities, in fact, they include uh, people like uh, Anthony Wood, the CEO of Roku. He and his wife Susan are a Founder Circle member uh, through their foundation. Um, Godard Abel, the CEO of G2, um, and even Steve Clasco, who's the former president of Jefferson Health. Um, so it's a it's a really interesting group of philanthropists. In fact, this whole space is called venture philanthropy, um, who have a growth mindset about how they want their donor dollars to work. Um, and we actually lean on them as an advisor, going back to that poll before you push, right? You know, these are very experienced entrepreneurs and executives and leaders who can teach us um, mm. through their lived experience, what they see as opportunities for impact capital to be put to most use and, and to good work. Today, all of the returns that we generate through our investments in the ACS Impact, the American Cancer Society Impact Venture Fund, which is the allocation from the investment pool combined with their donations, is evergreen. So we put it back into the portfolio. And once we reach 100 million, um, we will trigger a steady stream of granting back to the American Cancer Society. And so that is the sustainability component. Um, but the Accelerator programs, for example, are actually all um, possible because our existing Founder Circle members are co-founding these next generation products and programs nice. with us, right? So that's really exciting. And some of those include future, you know, um, investment products. So we'll be, I mean, our vision is really to be able to bring in dollars, however they come in, if they're philanthropic, if they're for-profit, if they're um, catalytic, um, concessionary growth, and then on the investing side to be also stratified and very intentional in the way that we invest for impact. Interesting. That's really, that's really fascinating. The, the, so co-founders, so the, so the founder circle truly are like helping co-found, like, are there any examples of, of 
things right now or that are on the horizon from like a individual kind of you know IP perspective that the founder circle is is helping out with um, sort of in the present day. Well, so if you go back to the the things that Bright Edge represent, yeah. were the innovation, impact investing, and today we're venture capital arm yeah. of American Cancer Society, and all of this is kind of the social entrepreneurship, right? Or social innovation. So what are these yeah. different business models? And that's really where they're operating right now is helping us solidify the core, grow the pool of capital that we can put to use. Um, okay. They're also helping us unlock new pools of capital, right? And so- So they're helping so, you get more like-minded donors. Get more involved. like-minded donors. Yeah. Exactly, okay. exactly. Okay. And, and uh, you know, educating so much of impact investing there's a perception that impact investing is concessionary right mm -hmm. and being able to show that you can do well while doing good um if we can't do it and can't i mean cancer is so vibrant in terms of the innovation the types of things that we can invest in no disrespect to our you know climate our water colleagues but we, we're not with a lack of investment opportunities. So it really shines a light on where our model being highly selective, using our cancer impact investment framework to diligence and then to be clear about what value add we bring as the investor and with American Cancer Society. Like these are all things that allow us to really rise to the level of what institutional investors expect. And that's where we can unlock significant capital to be put to work towards um, ending cancer for everyone. Cool. Um, as a couple more questions for you, I, I want to talk about Freenome. Um, it was one of the companies that was just sort of curious, like just some you know something happening in particular right now that um, that you're really interested in sharing, sort of like a like a really important kind of like developing success story. So talk about the cancer detection blood tests that they're that they're up to and sort of like what that means for the overall sort of fight against cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And Freenome, along with um, two other uh, blood-based liquid biopsy companies for cancer detection, either for screening or for surveillance, I think they do really represent the future. It's just that in the case of colorectal cancer, people have real aversion to prep for colonoscopy mm -hmm. or even mm -hmm. pooping in a box that's also not so fun and so the idea that we could um, essentially help more patients adhere to screening guidelines right now four out of ten patients who are eligible for colorectal cancer screening don't get it my mom was one of them and wait what's that number again four out yeah only four, actually let me it's four four so, out of ten who are eligible for screening don't get screened jeez yeah yeah. Yeah. So imagine if you could have a blood draw um, and from that be, you know, flagged as to whether you're at risk for colon cancer or not. That's a, that's the first stage. And then if you need the follow up screening colonoscopy to identify, you know, where and to have a higher level of um, of of, um, of consultation with the provider um, that's available to you. But if four out of 10 patients are not getting screened, who should get screened? We have to attack that. And so yeah. that's really an access adoption. Uh, Mercy Bioanalytics, which is another company we invested in, is looking at lung cancer screening. And there, it's only 4% adherence mm. to screening guidelines for high-risk patients. So if you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and your primary care doctor says, you know, you should go get screened for lung cancer, and then you find out you have to go travel two hours to a center that has low-dose um, CT, you're not going to do it. So what if you got the blood draw before you left the doctor's office? Mm. 
it's pretty, pretty astounding. So these are companies that, um, you know, we, we know are representing cutting edge science, but on top of that, they really represent where we want cancer care to go, which is to have more attention to prevention and early detection and screening, along with more targeted and precision oncology agents that essentially produce cures. But if we can prevent cancer to begin with, we can actually touch more lives across larger populations and maybe even serve you know patients who today, um, should they be diagnosed, wouldn't have the same outcomes because of you know, where they live or other, you know, barriers to care. Interesting. I have a, a probably a silly creative idea, but like, would you ever circumvent the healthcare system a bit, a bit and like take some donor money towards companies like Freenome and like in a American Red Cross, like, like, um, one of those mobile sort of like blood drawn sort of fans that shows up at office parks and stuff and just go and show up and like coordinate with sort of like the, you know, the, the private sector and say, Hey, we're doing, we're doing blood tests. It's, it's free for all. And it's for early cancer detection. Like, like, is there, do you ever sort of like, cause it's kind of cavalier and bold to like go this, like a, 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 a different route to sort of like try to like, you know, cause, th cause this adoption ma matters because it's, you know, 1.9 million Americans, I think a year, like, like we're talking about just so many lives that could be saved and is, you know, is waiting for, you know, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, is, is waiting for companies to scale and waiting for health systems to, to, you know, um, you know, the, the, the incentives to be created for, for these, for these things to sort of, um, you know, show up and be present in more, you know, of, you know, every, you know, everyday Americans lives. Like, are there any sort of like out of the box sort of like adoption, sort of like testing sort of models that, you know, don't necessarily even need to, and, and obviously there's compliance and there's like, I'm, just making the I'm just like the creative branding guy just coming up with this with the what's probably a silly idea. But any sense to any of that and like is it, it, or or not, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I mean I, I think alternative site of care, home based care, those are really exciting novel areas and where, you know, I'd love American Cancer Society to be, especially our patient support. Um, pillar to be positioned as a discovery engine because we can essentially highlight where there are um, where, where those solutions address real problems, right? Where so there's patients. populations, right? Like so, like regions where there's populations where we have so many patients here that are getting to, into their 60s and they haven't done these screenings, and so therefore, like we can have such an impact on lives. And if we do that there, that's our proof of concept to this being something we can do in other places. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is where we, you know, we have uh, through our advocacy with um, Congress and um, getting funding for CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, they do have um, programs through the federally um, qualified health centers to improve access to screening technologies for breast, for um, uh, cervical, um, for really vulnerable populations. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I love what you're saying, which is how do we design for that use case? Yeah, pull it closer to the front. And I think yeah. um, on the on the other side, which is how do we meet patients where they are? We we actually have another company. So when like my my own lived experience with my mother, when people don't know what they're going to be economically responsible for, the surprise bill you know, is not only stressful, but it also prevents people from adhering to the care that they need. And so we invested in a company called TaylorMed, which is a financial navigation 
automation software company. Um, and so imagine like right now you kind of know that you have a bill that you don't know if you can pay. So you search on all these different websites to try and find copay assistance or coupons or whatever. Um, their product actually standardizes um, and automates all of this in one dashboard. And what's really interesting is that hospitals um, and cancer clinics can use this and not only um, manage more patients because they can increase their patient load, but they can reduce the amount of bad debt, meaning that, you know, people don't not pay bills mm -hmm. because they're mm -hmm. able to across 1500 programs. These are even including American Cancer Society programs, federal, state, nonprofit, um, assess eligibility and enroll. And we love it because we know financial barriers to care are bad. 40% um, of patients actually go bankrupt. 80% of patients t dip into their lifetime savings when they're diagnosed with cancer. Patients can adhere. We can touch more lives. Um, we make returns off the investment. But on top of that, we actually grant health systems the salaries of these navigators. Mm. So we could mm. reduce the amount of granting that we have to do because there's a clear business model for the hospitals yeah, to do the right thing. So that's the type of... Wow triple yeah. quadruple bottom line that we're seeking yeah. in our investment strategy yeah that's that's like yeah it's like triple quadruple genius right there i love it um this has been this has been a pleasure alice so the question we always like to ask our um guests you know at the end of the episode is sort of a challenge for for you know sort of listeners and, and sort of in readers folks who will read this on the on the business journal um what challenge do you have um, for folks that are sort of tuning in um, and getting a chance to meet you uh, through yeah. this lovely interview. Well, and thanks, Zach, for yeah. having me on. Um, you know, I, I have to say people talk about being mindful, right, and being present. Mm -hmm. And um, I've journeyed this space and gotten here only because I was constantly looking for that mind-heart connection. So I would say be heartful. like meditation i have a meditation practice and that has been huge for me because it allows me to make those connections between professional and personal and to reconcile right the tension that i sometimes feel in the day to day and so i would just say mind heart connection and if you can pick up some meditation five ten minutes a day maybe even longer but um but be authentic and uh, sort of journey with purpose. I love that. One of my all-time uh, favorite answers to that question is a, from a good friend of mine, Deirdre Sartorelli. Um, she retired um, from running the Engel Center for Entrepreneurship at Endicott. And her answer was about being more present and how just there's just a, like a lack of overall presence. You know, we have to be distracted by our phones, et cetera. And what you just did is you kind of like peeled back the layer, like another layer of the onion. You're like, it's important to be present, right? We acknowledge it's important. How good are we at that is questionable. Certainly, you know, at times, like my wife and I try to get better and better. Like we're having dinner with our daughter at the dinner table. Our phones aren't there, um, but it's hard. We 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 work hard. We have we have all these things. You have all these things you're doing. I have all these things I'm trying to do in the world. Um, and sort of, you know, for me, I run and and I that's my meditation. And then I need to do a bit more yoga and meditation just in general too, because I just need to, I need to stretch more. Um, but I, I love that sort of like mind heart sort of practice um, and how that is 
sort of with an eye toward like, it's going to help us be more present. It's going to help us be more calm. It's going to help us be more there and be the best versions of, our, of ourselves for those that we really care about. So that's, that's lovely. Exactly. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been a pleasure. Um, well, uh, I'm excited to share this with the community and, and excited to, you know, have a new friend and, and looking forward to, um, you know, keep it in touch and, and maybe, you know, get together, you know, IRL one of these days, that'd be really cool too. Absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, I'm in Boston. So if you ever want to hang out at an American Cancer Society event or come volunteer, uh, we, you know where to find me. Yeah. I know where to find you. And I also know maybe to find you in the North End. Um, <laughs> you know, with the last name, like Pomponio, of course, right? Of course. Um, so yeah, we'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to figure it out in the future. Um, Alice, has been great. Um, have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. Take care. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Boston. Cheers.